And let's try that again. Good morning, family. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We adore you. We bless your holy and your divine name. We thank you for this day that you've made. And we come now to your word and pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts, that you would give us what we need. We need a word from you. We need a touch from you. We need the direction, the wisdom, Lord, for what's in front of us. And so, Father, we pray that you would literally open our hearts, open our minds, allow us to be receptive, plant your word in the good soil of our hearts so that, Lord, when we hear it, we would walk in the way that you set for us. In the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, we do pray. And the people of God said, amen. Amen, family, amen. I am uh, so honored once again to be here and to be a part of uh, your couples conference. My wife and I um, have been blessed to be a part of um, such a great conference, such a great church. I want you to know uh, if you haven't figured it out already, God's hand is upon you. Uh, and one of the ways that God proves his love for, for people is by the people he ordains for them to do life with. God has placed you in an incredible community under some amazing leaders, and I think that we ought to take a second and honor those leaders. Would you help me to honor your founders and your leaders, Dr. Conway Edwards, Lady Edwards, amen. That was pretty good. I'm going to give you another chance. I know this is the first service. Come on, help me give God praise for them. Hallelujah. Well, let's go right to the Word of God. Uh, media team, if you would just let me know. Give me some time on the clock so that I don't lose track of that. I want to flow in order with the house. I want you to meet me in Romans chapter 1 first, verse 17. Uh, we'll go back to it in a moment, but I want to start there. And then I want you to meet me in the Old Testament book of Joshua. Uh, my assignment from your pastor was to share Word of God um, central to one of my favorite Bible heroes. Uh, I believe that some of the other pastors have done the same. So we're going to drop anchor in Joshua, but let's first start at Romans chapter 1, verse 17, because it says this. It says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now meet me in Joshua chapter 6, Joshua chapter 6, beginning at verse number 1. It says, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. And then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. One community I want to take some time and I want to invite you to join me in studying this passage of Scripture in Joshua 6 with this thought in mind. Take the next step of faith. Look at someone around you and tell them that's their assignment. Tell them, take the next step of faith. Now, family, we must acknowledge at the very onset of this study that the Bible is unmistakably clear about the importance of faith. As a matter of fact, the book of Hebrews, the famous book and chapter on faith, tells us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. The book of Romans makes clear that it 
is so critical, faith is, to our salvation and even our relationship with the Lord is all dependent upon faith. One of my favorites is in 1 John when it reminds us that it is faith that allows us to live as overcomers. I also love the book of Galatians when it teaches that it is literally by faith that we access the blessings of Abraham that belong to us as believers. Galatians 3.14 says that he, God, redeemed us so that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. The book of 2 Corinthians even teaches more. It says that it is literally through faith that we access the promises of God. I love 2 Corinthians 1 and 20 that says that for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. But family, what is most important to understand is that faith has to be a lifestyle. Faith is not an occasional decision. Faith is not something you turn on and turn off when things are comfortable and easy. In fact, I need to be honest with you and tell you that if you're really going to walk by faith, you must know that God, in his wise providence, will often place us in situations that are designed specifically to encourage us, sometimes even force us to live by faith. But the problem with that is we crave comfort. We, we like to be comfortable. We don't like it when anybody ruffles our feathers or pushes us out of our comfort zone. But you must know that if you really want God, as we were singing, that we want to touch from you. Well, you must know that if you really want God and what God has ordained for your life, then what comes with that is God putting you in situations where you have to take that next step. But that next step has to be taken by faith. This is why Romans 1 and 17 is so important when it says that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It means that the more of God, the more of what he has for us is revealed, it's, it's shared as we move from faith to faith. Meaning that sometimes, oftentimes, God is not going to share everything with you up front. He's not going to give you the whole picture in a moment. But as you take that step of faith, he'll share a little bit more with you. And then as you take the next step of faith, he'll reveal more of you. It's kind of like when you walk into your favorite department store. When you walk in your favorite department store and you're in the lobby or you just walk through the open doors, you don't see the whole department store in that one moment. No, you got to lean in. you got to press in and you have to walk through the different departments and maybe go upstairs and downstairs and around the corner if you're going to really breathe in and see all that your favorite department store has to offer. It's the same with God. This is part of the reason why Per my assignment, I want to share the word of God with you from the book of Joshua because uh, the book of Joshua and the character of Joshua is so important to us. As a matter of fact, everything about the book of Joshua and its details are an Old Testament picture of the present day reality that we now have as believers through Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the name Joshua is the Hebrew pronunciation for Jesus, Yeshua. And so it's important then that we examine this book and, and fix our eyes on this character because in the book of Joshua, we see the steps 
that Joshua and the nation of Israel, the people of God, take to move into the promised land. And likewise, we have been given access to all of the promises of God through Jesus. But similarly, what the book of Joshua shows us is that there are next steps that we must take. What I want you to notice when we begin to examine where Joshua and the people are in Joshua 6 is I want you to notice that they are in the promised land. They get to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. They get into their blessed place, but they still have battles to fight. See, the truth is, I got to take a second and deal with this because too many people mistakenly believe that when there is a problem, when there is an issue, when, when there's a, a little bit of drama or, or there's a challenge or a battle, many people mistakenly believe that that's a sign that something is wrong or maybe even perhaps that they're outside of the will of God. And I know far too many people that have abandoned the, the purpose and the will of God for their life simply because they didn't expect to have any battles. Too many people have given up on God's best for their life simply because they didn't know that sometimes you will have problems. See, often it's the fight. Often it's the battles, the problems, the challenges that literally confirm that you are on the right path and living by faith. See, the truth is, when you are in the will of God, even when you're doing the right thing, there will still be battles. What do you mean, Bishop, there will still be battles? Well, the land is flowing with milk and honey, which means that if you're going to get the milk, occasionally you're going to step in some manure. The land is flowing with milk and honey. It means if you're going to get the honey, occasionally you're going to be stung by bees. Even when you're in the will of God, even when you are doing what God has asked you to do and living by faith, there will still be battles. Jericho was the largest, strongest, most fortified city in Canaan. As a matter of fact, the city of Jericho covered five square miles. And the city was surrounded by, by two walls that were 12 to 15 feet apart. And both of these walls were, were at least six feet thick. There was an outer wall that was 30 feet high. And then the inner wall was 30 feet high as well. And if you are familiar with the story of Rahab, then you might remember that her house was literally built over the expanse between these two walls. Now, I know that this is a familiar Bible story for, for many people, and I hope and pray this morning that the familiarity with this story won't rob you of the revelation and what God wants us to hear today because Jericho and this whole layout of this city and how strong and how fortified it was is important for two critical reasons. Practically, it's important for us because God wants you to know that there is absolutely nothing impossible for him. You, you need to know that, that walls, obstacles, closed doors, uphill battles are no match for our God and people of faith. No matter how difficult, no matter how insurmountable, no matter how improbable things look, all things are possible with God if we live by faith. But not only practically, spiritually this is important because you need to know that every mental, physical, psychological, and emotional wall in your life can be demolished in God. This is a word for somebody this morning. You need to know that God wants to demolish any and every stronghold in your life that is preventing you from possessing the real life that Jesus desires for you to have. Let me say it again. It's so important. Any stronghold 
that is preventing you, whether it is a spiritual, mental, physical, psychological stronghold that is preventing you from living your best life, your purposeful life, God wants to demolish. I need you to know that. No matter what the obstacle is, no matter what the issue is, Right now, you may be facing some issues, or maybe uh, in the days and months to come, there will be issues and obstacles that arise. I need you to know that you can handle it with God, and if you're willing to take the steps of faith. So, Bishop, what's involved in taking this next step of faith? Well, one community, I'm, I'm glad you are intrigued and are asking, because first and foremost, number one, we have to claim the promises. Somebody say, claim the promises. Uh, now, first and foremost, let me establish this. Whenever uh, there is a battle, whenever there's a challenge, whatever the fight is in front of you, you need to know if you're living by faith, taking these next steps of faith, you need to know as a believer that we don't fight for victory. We actually fight from victory. That's so important. I don't want you to miss it. Let me say it again. We don't fight for victory. We actually fight from victory. We already have the victory. Jesus has already defeated the enemy. Jesus defeated Satan in the wilderness. He defeated him during earthly ministry. He defeated him on the cross. He defeated him during uh, the resurrection. This is why God says to Joshua, I have delivered, past tense, Jericho into your hands. The victory had already been won. Ah, don't miss this. Why is this relevant for us? Because real faith sees what may be invisible in the natural because of what God has already said and done in the spiritual. Teach, Bishop, I'm trying. Real faith sees what may be invisible in the natural because of what God has already said and done in the spiritual. Now, it is not the desire of God for what he has said and what he has done to simply remain in the spirit realm. No, no, this is a part of the reason why Jesus, when he was teaching us the model prayer, he says one of the ways that we ought to understand the power of prayer is that we ought to seek to, to, to pray and to act and to live so that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning we are supposed to bring heaven down to earth. Well, how do we do it? We do it through faith. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. My wife and I haven't been able to travel as much as we, we normally do during uh, COVID, obviously, and we love to travel. We love to travel. Uh, our kids were born, and, and literally, they came, we, we jokingly say they came out of the womb with, with a passport because they were traveling as babies. And one of our favorite cities is, is London. But whenever we go to London, if we want to grab coffee, if we want to grab breakfast, if we want to go to a nice restaurant, well, well, when I go to London, I cannot use the U.S. dollar. Because the U.S. dollar is not the currency in Great Britain. The currency in Great Britain is the British pound. So that means then that I've got to exchange. I've got to exchange. I have to exchange. Somebody's going to get it. My U.S. dollars for the currency that transacts business in Great Britain. What I'm trying to tell you is that the currency of the kingdom is not your talent. It's not your gift. It's not your degree. It's not who knows you. It's not how large your social media network is. The currency of the kingdom. All that's great, but the currency of the kingdom is faith. And some of us are trying to transact business. We're trying to connect with God. We're trying to get to this next step, this next season, but you are using the wrong currency. 
the victory had already been won. The victory had already been won. But Joshua and the nation of Israel has to claim. They got to they gotta exercise that faith, use that currency, and claim the promises of God. Now, family, there are a couple of things that have to be done if you and I are going to claim the promises of God. The first thing that has to be done is that you have to, first of all, know the promises of God. God says, he speaks a word to Joshua and says, I have already delivered Jericho into your hands. He makes a promise to Joshua. And what I need you to know is that God has similarly also made numerous promises to you. This is why every day, this is where you ought to be every day. It it, it literally, if you got five minutes in your morning or five minutes at lunchtime, every day you ought to be in the word of God discovering every promise that God has made to you. Because first you got to know the promises. But after you know the promises of God, then the next step is you have to believe the promises of God. Because Joshua has to make a decision. God has already given him his word, but he has to make a decision of whether or not he's going to believe the promises of God. See, when you move from knowing to believing the word, this is when the word moves from your head to your heart. The more time you spend studying the word of God, discovering the promises of God, the the more you spend time meditating on the word of God, not just knowing it, but believing it, what begins to happen is faith begins to rise and increase in your heart. The more I study, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. That word will move from my head to my heart. And then I begin to walk into business meetings with my chest stuck out. When haters and others try to sling fiery arrows towards me and and try to discourage me, I'm able to lift my head high and keep moving. Not because I just know that no weapon formed against me shall prosper, but because I believe it. And see, after, after you know the promises, and believe the promises, the last step is you got to claim the promises. When you claim the promises of God, it means you count as true what the Word of God says about you. Whatever the promise is, it means you count it as true in your life. Now watch this. Joshua doesn't just know the promise. Joshua doesn't just believe the promises. But he also counts what God has said as true for his life. How do I know that? Because he mobilizes the army and they get ready to march confidently into battle. See, for some of you, your next step is you need to know the promises of God. God has made thousands and thousands of promises to you. But the problem is you don't know it. And as long as you don't know the promises of God, you will always live beneath your purpose and beneath your privilege. You don't really know who you are and what you have if you don't know the promises of God. Now, for some of you, your next step is to believe the promises of God. I can start quoting a scripture and you can finish it because you know the word of God. The problem is you don't believe it. The promises of God have got to move from your head to your heart. Faith has got to increase in your heart. But then the next step for others of you, you know the promises. You believe the promises, but you got to claim the promises. See, when you know the promises of God and believe the promises of God, but you don't claim it, then you just that the promises of God 
are, are for pie in the sky, by and by, when you get to heaven, we'll put on a robe and we'll walk around heaven all day. Right? But here's the thing. When you get to heaven, you won't need the promises of God because you'll have him. No, the promises of God are for here and now. And, and the last step for some of you is that you have got to not only know the promises, believe the promises, but you have got to claim the promises. See, knowing the promises of God and believing the promises of God are like accepting a check. But claiming the promises of God are like taking that check to the bank and say, I want you to deposit that in my account, please. Teach, Bishop. I'm doing it. Nobody's saying anything, though. Help me, Holy Spirit. Number one, you got to claim the promises. Somebody say claim the promises. Secondly, though, we've got to follow God's plan. We've got to follow God's plan because pick me up at verse 3 of Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. Let's pick me up at verse 3. Here, God says... Now, here's what I want you to do, Joshua. God says, march around the city, once with all of the armed men, do this for six days, have seven priests carrying trumpets of ram's horn in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, every one straight in. See, I, I love this. Because first, God makes a promise to Joshua. And then Joshua, he receives the word, the promises of God. He believes it and he claims it. He tells everybody, get ready. We're getting ready to march around the city. And then God gives him the plan. See, what you need to know is that there is no situation too big for the Lord to handle. No problem is too much for God to solve. God always has a plan. But oftentimes, he's waiting for us to take that first step of knowing the promises, believing the promises, and claiming the promises, and then he will reveal his plan. Let me show you something. In John 6 and verse 5, I love this. It says, when, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, hey, where should we buy bread for, for these people to eat? And it says this. It says, he asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. All these people are coming to Jesus and the disciples. And he says, hey, Philip, where can we get enough food for all of them? It was a test because he already had in mind what he was going to do. What do I want you to understand? I want you to know that God always has a plan. He knows what he's going to do. Nothing catches God by surprise. God never says, you know, I didn't really think about this until now. God, God, God never says, you know, that just dawned on me. No, no. God always has a plan. This is why, get this family, this is why every obstacle, every issue, every problem in your life is literally an opportunity for God to move because God always has a plan. The challenge though is that our responsibility is to go to God and ask him what is the plan. Often what we do is we will make our own plan and hope that it'll work. Or we'll make our own plan and then ask God to bless it. And that's not how it works. God says, no, no, no. Now, I need you to come to me and ask me what the plan is because he already has a plan. The Bible says he is the ancient of days. He knows the end from the beginning. God has already laid out every detail for you. He has a plan for your family. He has a plan for you financially. He has a plan for this part of your career. He has a plan for this next phase of your business. But our responsibility is to ask him, God, what is your plan? Now, I, I do need to tell you, though, that when God gives you the plan, 
Often the plan will be foolish to the world. Gideon, I need you to take only 300 men, and with 300 men, you're going to defeat the Midianites. Often God's plan will sound foolish to the world. David, you need to take Saul's armor off because you cannot go in battle with that. I need you to take a slingshot and some smooth stones, and with that, you're going to defeat Goliath. See, often God's plan will sound foolish to the world. Jehoshaphat, I need you to put the praise and worship team on the front line, and I need you all to march in battle, giving me praise, and it's through praise and worship that I am going to defeat the enemy. Often God's plans will not make sense. This is why when we take this next step and follow God's plan, it has to be done by faith. But thanks be to God. When we follow God's plan, though, guess what we get? We get his purpose, we get his provision, we get his presence, and we get his power. Every single person that followed the plan of God in the word of God got all of that. And there's so many of us, that's what we're hungering for. God, we want your presence. God, we want more of you. God, we want your provision. But it's not going to come when you're trying to run your own place. I'm teaching better than you responded. It's going to come when you line up with the word of God and say, I'm doing it God's way. We're going to operate this marriage God's way. We're going to operate our finances God's way. Because when you follow his plan, you get his power, his provision, his purpose. Ah, thank you, Lord. Well, here's the, here's the last thing. You, you've got to, if you're going to take this next step of faith, you've got to claim the promises of God. You've got to follow God's plan. But thirdly and finally, you have to embrace the test and pass. You have to embrace the test and pass. Here's the thing about faith. Faith that is not tested is really not faith at all. This is a part of the reason why James 1 and 2 says, consider it pure joy. When you fall into divers, one translation says, another translation says, different kinds of temptations, knowing that the trying, another translation says, the testing of your faith worketh patience, and patience must have its perfect work so that you are complete and not lacking anything. What does that mean? It means that God knows that, that if your faith is not tested, you don't really know if it's faith at all. See, oftentimes we say we have faith, but then when we get into a struggle or a challenge, the faith that we said we had goes AWOL. God knows that your faith has to be tested. It has to be tested in order for God to really see and for you to see that it's real faith. This is why God gives Joshua and the nation of Israel these kinds of instructions, because these instructions, this plan is designed to test their faith. Well, what are, what are, these, what are, what are these tests? What are some of these tests that, 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 that God will, will give us? Well, first, it's a test of patience. It's a test of patience. What do you mean patience? Well, notice, they are in the promised land. But they can't just run in and say, hey, y'all, we here. Where you going to live? I'm going to live over here. Where you going to live? I'm going to live over No, they can't. They, they, they can't. They can't do that. They're in the promised land, but they still have battles to fight, and they just can't run up into Jericho. God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk around the city, all right, for six days, walk around one time each day, and then on the seventh day, walk around seven times. Now, I could tell, by the way, you're not responding to me, that, that because of your familiarity with this passage, you think, well, that's not really a big deal. Well, hold on a second. There were three million people that were a part of the nation of Israel. Three million, three million at this time. 
the perimeter of Jericho was five miles. So three million people have got to walk five miles a day for six days. A group that large to walk five miles, it would at least take them two to three hours to walk that distance. So on day one, they got to walk two to three hours, go back to their camp, and nothing happens. Day two, three million people got to walk another five miles, two to three hours, go back home, ain't nothing happening. You're going to get it. Day three, day four, day five, day five. Now, by day five, you know your cousins in them. We, we walk day one and ain't nothing happened. I don't know what God is doing. I don't know why he's taking so long. Why in the world is, is God having us do all of this? This is just day one through six. Wait a minute. On day seven, they got to walk around how many times? Seven times five, 30 five miles a group that large that's going to take them somewhere around 15 to 16 hours Ooh, you got to know how your cousins and them would feel right up and through here this is a waste of time i don't think he's heard from the lord why god why we gotta walk god know i got bad feet god know i got plantar fasciitis what's going on but you're laughing, but can I talk to you and come in your kitchen? That's how some of you feel right now. God, what's taking so long? God, I've done everything you've asked me to do. God, I've been faithful. God, I've been sowing. I've been serving. God, I, I thought it would have happened by now. I thought I would have been married by now. I thought I would have been at this place in my career by now. God, what's taking so long? I've been walking, God, and I'm tired. And I'm talking to some of you right now. But you need to understand, God brought me here this morning to tell you, please remind them, God said, that I'm not in a hurry. Ooh. God is not in a hurry. Can I tell you something? As a matter of fact, God is more concerned about what is happening in us than what's happening around us. See, the worst thing God could do is to bring you into a blessing that you're not prepared for. So while you're doing all the walking, God is working on the inside of you to prepare you for what he's getting ready to bring you into. This is why Hebrews 6 and 12 is so important. It says, we don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherited what was promised. You need faith, but you also need patience. God knows what he's doing, family. His timing is never off. After walking six days, five miles a day, then they get to the seventh day and they got to walk around seven times, 35 miles. Do you understand that they are tired? And do you understand that if they would have said, I'm giving up because it didn't happen in day four, they never would have seen the breakthrough of day seven? Do, do you understand what that means? It means that when you get tired, that's not the time to give up and throw in the towel. That's actually the time to lean in. That's actually the time to press in. When you are the most tired and you feel like you've been doing it and you haven't seen the results of what you've been waiting on, that's not the time to say, I'm raising the right flag of surrender and turning my back. That's the time to say, God, well, I must be close. Because when you get weary, God tells us, don't be weary in well-doing. <laughs> because you'll reap if you faint not. I've come to tell somebody this morning, when success is delayed, your efforts need to be increased, not diminished. 
When success is delayed, your efforts don't need to diminish. They need to increase. You need to lean in and say, well, God, I know you're doing something in me. And I trust you that no matter how long it takes, you're going to do it in your own timing. It was a test of patience. Uh, Let me hurry. But there also was a test of silence. It was a test of silence. Because God says, watch this. Nobody say a word. Until the seventh day when the priests blow the trumpet. So here's the thing. They got to walk six days, five miles each day. They got to walk on the seventh day, 35 miles. Then when the priests blow the trumpet, that's when they shout. I want to suggest to you one community that the bigger miracle is not simply that the walls came tumbling down. The bigger miracle is that they did all of this and they kept their mouth shut. Oh, teach, Bishop. I'm trying. Because let me not talk about you. You know your cousins and them. Yeah, you you know they would have had something to say. Have you ever said something that you shouldn't have said? Have you ever said something that was painfully obvious that that your mouth betrayed what you said you believed? It's kind of like when John the Baptist was being born in the story and it says that the angel of God shuts Zachariah's mouth because Zachariah wanted to call him something else. Zachariah Jr. instead of coming into agreement with what God has decreed and God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to shut your mouth until your mouth can line up with my will for your son's life. Sometimes the greatest thing to do is I don't understand why we're building a new youth center. We got all these campuses. Don't do you have enough space? I mean, I mean, pastor's here. He's chilling. Why can't he be preaching? Shh, shh. Sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is shh, shh, shh. I said it last night. I, I, feel a, I feel an unction to say it again. You may need a silence ministry. You, 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 need, you need a ministry that, that just helps people to understand when you don't have anything positive to say, useful to build up the body of Christ, just I believe this is why God said in Psalm 46 and 10, be still and know. I mean, sometimes you don't need to say anything. Sometimes the worst thing you could do is speak out of turn. You want to learn to be still and say, God, I just, I'm going to trust you in my heart. Uh, When God even reveals some things to you, this is part of the reason why you don't need to go sharing it with everybody. Ah, just It was a test of patience. But it was also a test of silence. And then here's the last thing, and we're going home. It was a test of unity. This is one community, isn't it? Watch this. The breakthrough depended on not just one of them or few of them. The breakthrough depended on all of them. They all had to walk. Not one of them could say, you know what, Dr. Conway, I... I'm going to sit this one out. I'm not really feeling it right up and through here. I've served for for the last few years. I'm good. I'm good. I'll let y'all go ahead and run this next leg of the race. No, 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 no. no. Nobody can sit out and say, hey, come and get me when y'all get to day seven. Come and get me on day seven when y'all only got about seven more miles to walk. I'll roll with you then. No, they all had to walk together. And then they all had to shout. Nobody could say, nah, you know, 
my, my throat is a little sore today. I'm not going to shout today. No, 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 no. They all had to walk. They all had to shout. And the breakthrough for the nation depended on that corporate unity. Why? Because the greater anointing and the greater move of God is on the corporate gathering and not just the individual talent or anointing. Oh, I'm teaching. Let me prove it to you. Go, go, go to Hebrews. This is my last little nugget that I'll drop with you, and then we're going to go home. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 29. Now, if you know your word, then you know that throughout the chapter of Hebrews, particularly after it introduces what faith is, it goes through by faith he, by faith she, by faith he, by faith she, you know, by faith Noah, by faith Moses, by faith Abraham, by faith Deborah, by faith Jephthah. It just goes through the heroes of faith. But when you get to verse 29 of, of Hebrews 11, uh, notice what it says. Hopefully they'll put it on the screen. It, it says, uh, by faith, what? They passed through the Red Sea on dry ground, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. You keep going. And it says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. This is verse 30. After they were encircled for seven days. Not by faith he. Not by faith, she. I, I know you're gifted. I know you're talented. I know you're anointed. I know you got it going on. But the anointing on the corporate group is greater than the anointing on an individual. There's power. What I'm trying to teach you, one community, is that there's power in the collective uh, unity of the whole group. And that power in the collective unity is far greater than the individual. Why is that important? Because if you are thinking in this season of your life only about you, me, myself, and I, your mentality has got to shift. You've got to shift from it just being about you, and you've got to move from, from me to we. Your, your mentality has got to shift because the anointing on all of us is greater than the anointing on any one of us. Come on, give God praise right up and through here. Online or the other campuses, I, I got to believe are giving God a greater praise than what I got up in here. That, that, was, that was pretty good. I got a few praises. I got a few people saying, oh, bless his heart. When is Dr. Conway coming back? That's so great. Thank you so much. Come on, give God praise. Now, hold on. That, that was a little bit better. But here's what I want you to understand. God says, after you walk 35 miles, seven times around on the seventh day, the priests are going to blow the trumpet, and then you got to shout. Three million people have to shout. And when those three million people shout, the power of the collective unity, when they shout, when they come together, when they march and when they shout, there's something about the power of that sound of their shout that the walls of Jericho collapse. Anybody remember the old, uh, I'm dating myself, uh, but I, when I was growing up, there was this old Memorex commercial, and, and there was this woman who sang this really, really high note, and then the glass broke, and then the commercial would say, is it real, or is it Memorex? And I remember as a kid, I was like, my goodness, how in the world? I thought it was made up. I thought it was make-believe until I learned in science that the thing is, when you take sound and you jack sound up 700 plus octaves, sound becomes light. Hmm. This is part of the reason why when it said that, and God said, let there be light, even though light didn't exist, 
light had to come because God said it. It wasn't it before he said it, but after he said it, it had to become it because God spoke. Sound becomes light. You take sound, you jack it up 700 plus octaves, sound becomes light. Mm -hmm. And then light becomes energy. And then energy becomes a mass. And then mass becomes a matter. So God says, I need 3 million people to shout when the trumpet sounds because there's something about sound. When you jack it up 700 octaves, sound becomes becomes light. Light becomes energy. Energy becomes mass. Mass becomes matter. Mass becomes matter, meaning if you got the right sound, you can shift the matter. If you got the right sound, no matter what the wall is, because the wall is made of matter, your sound will displace the matter. I'm trying to teach you that if you want to change what's the matter, change your sound. If you want to change what's the matter, change your sound. I wish that I could have everybody in this room giving God a radical praise up in here. Give him a shout of glory. Give him a shout of praise. Give him a shout of glory. Give him a shout of praise. Let me hear you. Walls are getting ready to come tumbling down. Walls are getting ready to come tumbling down. Give him praise. Walls are tumbling down. Walls are coming down. The wall of race is coming down. The wall of politics is coming down. Give him praise up in here. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. There is a sound of unity that God is listening for. In one community, God brought me all the way here from Birmingham to tell you, it doesn't matter what the wall is. It doesn't matter what the obstacle is. That wall can come tumbling down if there's a sound. If there's a sound of unity. When Dr. Conway, when... When, 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 when Lady Edwards, when they, when they stand here, when they're in a meeting, a boardroom or staff meeting, they're sounding the trumpet. That's the trumpet blast. And then the next thing that God is listening for is that shout, that sound of unity. Because whatever the wall is, it can come tumbling down. Oh, Father, I thank you. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Lord, that there is no obstacle too great. That there is no difficulty, Father, that can stand in our way. We are overcomers through you, Jesus. And I pray for every person under the sound of my voice, God, whatever the obstacle is, whatever the challenge is, that they trust you because you always have a plan. I pray that they would search your word. They would know your promises, believe your promises, claim your promises. And I pray, Lord, that even if they're going through seasons of testing, that they would pass these tests. You haven't forgotten about them. They've been walking for some time, God, but their breakthrough is right on the other side. 
God, give them the faith and the patience they need to hang in there, to not speak against your promises, Lord, but to be silent even when they don't know what to say. And God, I pray for a greater level of unity in this house. I pray, God, that you would shut every door, every foothold where the enemy's trying to come in and cause disunity and disruption. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would shut it down. God, I pray for a greater bond in this house. Leadership bond, membership bond, dream team, volunteer bond. God, I pray that you would literally raise up a kingdom army specifically anointed for this season to do great things for your glory in the mighty name of Jesus. My Father, I pray for every person that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, every person who may not have a church home. Father, I pray that they would sense your presence, your love, your acceptance so strong in this house, that they would open their heart to you, that they would come to connect in this place and join the one community church. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.